Welcome to Recloseted Radio. This is the top-rated podcast for slow fashion founders. Whether you're thinking about launching a slow fashion brand, scaling an existing clothing brand, or making a brand more environmentally friendly, we have you covered. I'm your host, Selena Ho, the founder and CEO of Recloseted. Each week, I'm sharing my proven strategies or interviewing industry experts. Without any further ado, let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Recloseted Radio. In this episode, I am interviewing Joey Pringle, and this episode was jam-packed with a lot of different knowledge and tips, and then also, we had a really good discussion about the future of fashion as it relates to the metaverse, blockchain technology, so make sure you listen all the way to the end. And then for those of you that don't know who Joey is, he's originally from outside of North London in England, and Joey's first break in fashion came in Melbourne, Australia, when he was an accessories designer for Crumper. Upon graduating with a BA Honours in Industrial Design, Joey then relocated to Vancouver, Canada. He landed back in the industry working as a technical bags developer for MEC, and then he became the accessories lead for Tentree. It was during his time at Tentree where his job took him to working with factories across Vietnam and China. On a business trip to China in 2018, Joey met with a factory in Guangzhou. It was on this trip where the conversation to start a green factory model developed. After another trip to China in late 2019, Joey decided to quit his job in Canada to start Vichin Factory. Currently, Joey resides in Costa Rica, where he is looking to start a second factory for Vichin. And before we dive into this interview, I just wanted to quickly say that if you are looking to launch a sustainable fashion brand, scale an existing sustainable fashion brand, or convert an existing brand to become more conscious and sustainable, we are currently taking new clients. We do have limited capacity though, so if you are interested in learning more about our services and seeing if it's a fit to work together, you can book a complimentary discovery call with me at www.recloseted.com call. And during that call, we can chat through your challenges, your pain points, and see how we can help you and support you so that you can achieve your goals and also get your business to the next level. And now let's dive into the podcast episode with Joey. Well, welcome to Recloseted Radio, Joey. I feel like this has been a long time coming and I'm so excited that we're finally able to sit down and record this episode together. Yeah, it's great to be here, Selena. It's been a couple of crazy years since we last connected, but it's nice to uh, be in touch again. Yeah, it's crazy how it's already been two years. I feel like time is really flying by. Well, to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in fashion? To keep it short, if I can, I'm from North London originally, qualified industrial designer. Um, I chose to get into fashion during my degree. So I lived in Australia for two years and worked as a backpack designer for a really cool company in Melbourne. Then after I graduated university, I moved to Canada and lived in Vancouver and um, got into a couple of amazing companies in Vancouver. So Mountain Equipment Corp as a product developer. And then later on with Tentree as accessories designer. And then I kind of ended up kind of 
becoming the accessories lead, so managing the entire category for Tentry. And basically, my job ended up taking me to Vietnam and to China. And it was in China in 2018 where I met a factory who had this idea of transitioning their leather goods factory to a factory that didn't work on leather anymore. And long story short, I loved his vision and I proposed to him being a consultant on the side. So basically working for Tentry and then kind of consulting for this guy in, in China, just with sustainability and whatnot. I went back to China a year later and I proposed to this guy what a full-time consultancy would look like. And he basically said, don't be a consultant, be the owner of the factory. So I quit my job at Tentry in Vancouver in 2020. And then I um, decided to go on this entrepreneurial adventure and all through COVID and stuff like that. So it's been a crazy couple of years, but here I am now owning a factory in China. But I'm currently living in Costa Rica because I couldn't move to China because of COVID. So being able to scale the business from me being in England, but then I said to myself, where can I be in the world where I can still focus on business? And our goal with the factory was to expand into different continents. And we chose Costa Rica. So I'm in Costa Rica now and looking to start a second factory. Amazing. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. But before we talk about all of that, I did want to ask you what the word sustainability means to you because I find that it's such a big word and people have different meanings and connotations associated with the word. So what does the word sustainability mean to you? Sustainability to me means, I always say the planet is going to be just fine on its own. Like nature is going to be just fine. Sustainability is about sustaining the human experience on the planet, working with nature. So it's basically our decision as a human race if we want to be on the planet or not. And if we want to be on the planet, we're going to have to focus on sustainability. If we don't, the planet will just get rid of us. So it's very much a human experience of living on the planet in balance with nature. So that's the way I see it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I completely agree. If we don't take care of the planet, the planet will learn how to take care of itself and get rid of us, like you said. So with that definition of sustainability, then how does that come into play as your role as a factory owner right now? So yeah, how do I sleep at night? So yeah, I, I mean, sustainability, what I've learned at Tentry as a designer and the work I did at Tentry is this, it's such a complicated thing. It's, it's such a loaded term. And for me, how I balance it and, and what I fall back on now is that I'm a very spiritual person and I fall back on meditation and consciousness. And for me, the goal is to raise consciousness on the planet. So five core values at the business are sustainability, transparency, plant-based culture, giving back and carbon offsetting, and lastly, meditation and wellness. But for the first four of those values to happen, it can only happen if the owners of the companies are operating at the highest state of consciousness. Sustainability is just one form of consciousness. It's from the branch of the bigger um, the bigger picture. So providing you're a conscious person and you're trying to be as conscious as possible, then naturally you'll become more sustainably progressive. So that's the way I approach it because it's very complicated. There's lots of catch-22s with owning a factory in China and it's very hard and there's things that we're doing right now that are not correct but because we're conscious 
we're trying to be the best we can and that's all that you can do so that's how we're going about it yeah and I like that you take a values-based approach and you're really clear about what those are and then you act accordingly because that can really help you prioritize because there's so many things wrong with the world and you could really get overwhelmed so I think that's a good approach Awesome. And so when you transitioned from Tenshi to owning your own factory and becoming an entrepreneur, how was that transition for you? And what did you find most helpful in that transition? I guess the transition for me, it was natural. Um, to what, the last year at Tenshi, I was really fighting myself saying, is it time to go solo? Is it time to still work with Tenshi? I was on the verge of my dream promotion at the company. I don't know, the universe spoke and destiny called and it was time for me to go solo and do my own thing. The way I approached it was pretty dramatic, like I quit Tentry. I became a Canadian citizen and I left Canada a month later and I said, hey, before diving into this entrepreneurial world, I'm going to take six months out and go back to the UK before going to China. And then... I moved back to the UK straight into COVID. So um, I guess being an entrepreneur, starting a business during COVID is probably quite risky to a lot of people. But for me, I saw it as the perfect spotlight um, to really create change. Like COVID is, a lot of people see it as a quite a negative thing. But to me, at the time, I saw it as one of the most positive things ever. Like it, it was mother nature shutting down humanity and giving us this chance to press the pause button and especially in the fashion industry the industry had been on its knees for a couple of decades and it was operating and it was broken and it needed to change so as an entrepreneur during covid i used this spotlight to to start vision so it gave us quite a lot of um momentum in those first six months to 12 months when everyone was kind of inside during lockdown for us to kind of get out and story tell and it was, it was where we launched the company. So that was probably the biggest benefit. The negatives to it was that I, I haven't been able to move to China to be with my team. And obviously that's made things more complicated just with time zones and not being together and having business meetings and stuff like that. But we've been able to navigate it all and um, we're growing as we envisioned, be it in separate countries, we've been able to um, scale the business. So it's been a crazy ride, but meditation is key. Any entrepreneur starting, you have to meditate every day because otherwise you're going to get fried in your brain. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing because the last time we connected, it was about two years ago. And to see how much has happened over two years, even amongst COVID. And I really agree with you. I think everyone hit pause and it was really nice just to reassess where you were like personally, business wise, and also in the fashion industry. And so I think it's amazing. And the fact that you're doing this all virtually too is crazy. Yeah, we just we just been able to adapt. And again, back to meditation, like it gives you the power, especially as a creative person, to really slow down every day and, and think more strategically and not get stressed out about things that are not going against you. It gives you the ideas to be like, okay, let's think positive. Let's think what we can do in our power. It's been an incredible tool to be equipped with. I don't think I'd be in the position I am right now without it. I practice transcendental meditation. I took the course in Vancouver, so. Yes, meditation is so important, especially for entrepreneurs. And so how long do you meditate every day? Like, are you one of those crazy people that are sitting there like for an hour or what does that look like? 
So yeah, every morning, 20 minutes, I wake up, um, shower, get my brain activated, then 20 minutes in the morning, and I'll start my day. And then come six o'clock, the body and the mind start to get tired again. So then I meditate again for 20 minutes, six o'clock. And if you look at it as like your iPhone battery, like over the course of the day, your battery gets down to 30%. When you meditate again, you get back up to 70%, 80%. And then what that does is for the last four or five hours of the day, you get more capacity back and you can start doing more work and you find these kind of second wind of energy where you can get more done. So you're not meditating crazy long periods. TM gives you the structure in your day, just like brushing your teeth and eating and sharing to just make it a habit in your day. And you just start to get more energy back. You become less tired. You, your stress reduces, the anxiety reduces, and you can just get more stuff done. It just makes you a way more productive person. Yeah, and I like how you take a bite-sized approach to it too, because it's not just 40 minutes in one session. To your point, you're doing 20 minutes in the morning and then 20 minutes in the evening. So it also makes it less overwhelming and more approachable. It's like cleaning your teeth. It's like you're not going to clean your teeth for 40 minutes straight. You're going to do it every day a little bit. And if you do that every day a little bit, over time, your teeth become more healthy and healthy and healthy. And it's the same as showering. If you shower for an hour in one day, and don't shower for the rest of the week, that's not going to do anything. You've got to shower two minutes, three minutes every other day and just doing it bite size. And over time, you just you become a bit more immune and create this way more healthier mindset. So the key to meditation is to do it daily. Totally. It's like hygiene for your mind. Exactly. Exactly. And so let's talk a little bit more about Vichin Factory. Can you talk a little bit more about your services and what you're doing to advance sustainable fashion? Yeah, so we are an OEM factory um, with ODM on the side. So OEM means original equipment manufacturer. So what we do is we would we work with brands across the world and we specialize in producing luxury women's handbags and accessories. We do men's backpacks as well, but mostly um, we specialize in the luxury sector. And our approach is a little bit more unique to other factories because I was a designer for Tentry and I visited a lot of factories in my time, what I'm trying to do is take the initiative as a factory owner. So when it comes to sustainability and the materials, what I'm trying to do is really get my hands on the correct materials to promote them to our clients. So traditionally how it works is that the brand would fund the material, they would go to the factory and the factory would use the material and make the product. What I'm trying to do is pull all the strings and bring all the people together. So our goal is to move away from leather goods and specialize in next-gen materials. So like your cactus levers, your apple levers, pinyatex, mycelium, all these amazing materials coming out now. This is where we're specializing and focusing on. So what we're doing right now is, yeah, is going out to these material suppliers at this very early stage building the relationships with them and then going to the clients saying, hey, we're a service to bring your plant-based luxury goods product to life. And then on top of that, we do a bit of ODM, so original design manufacturing, where we create our own lines and our own designs and then people can come to us and then they can choose a pre-existing design and they can white label that. So yeah, we don't do clothing, we don't do shoes accessories luxury goods and now we're starting to expand into the home interior market so pillowcases table mats 
these kind of things, these kind of, if you go to HomeSense, all these kind of things you'd see in Winners and HomeSense in Canada, like these kind of products, because there's a lot of leather goods in that industry. And that also needs to be replaced with these new, as they say, vegan materials. But I tried to avoid the word vegan in the fashion industry. And speaking of next-gen materials, are there ones that you like more than others or ones that you're really excited about? Yeah, and I mean, it's a very complicated space right now because when we measure sustainability, there's the vegan aspect of the industry about protecting animals. Ironically, right now, the materials that we're working with contain a lot of plastic. Your traditional vegan leather is just 100% PU or 100% PVC. But the ones that we're excited about are like cactus leather and apple leather because the composition is like 40%, 50% apple byproduct or, or cacti blended with plastic still. So these are the ones we've been, been, been working with short term. But now the ones that I'm most excited about are the ones that are containing no plastic in them. There's no animal products in them and there's no plastic in them. And they're starting to become a bit more available in 2022 so a company called natural fiber welding they have a product called mirum which is very exciting because they're 100 plant-based their angle is kind of being plastic free so it kind of ticks a lot of boxes because for us with our luxury clients a lot of our pre-existing luxury clients they're not kind of heavily towards the, the vegan movement they understand the challenges of leather but they won't move from leather to a plastic alternative they will only move to a non-plastic alternative so this is where it gets exciting mycelium to me i think is probably where the significant growth is in the industry based on what i've seen so far the texture and the hand feel is just incredible when it pair it to leather but they are quite new and there's a lot of testing to do still there's trillions of dollars invested in this movement. And for anyone who wants to learn any more, go to the company website, Material Innovation Initiative, and read the reports on their website because um, it's an exciting space. And this is where we're at. I mean, we're very early on in this space. We're going up there now, finding these materials to scale them and to scale this side of the industry because this is what I believe in, being a vegan myself. Yeah, totally. And I'm actually really excited about the vegan leather alternatives where there isn't plastic. And I know you mentioned there's a lot of testing going on right now, but in your opinion, do you think the quality of these next-gen materials are there or is that still a work in progress? Yeah, and I mean, this is another thing and it's a no-brainer for these suppliers that the last thing they want to do is rush their material to be commercially ready and then find out that it doesn't work or it's breaking. So internally at these companies there's a lot of rigorous testing going on which is why we see a lot of marketing hype but commercially speaking they're not ready yet because they're taking their time to put the measures in place what we try to do as well is that on top of their own internal testing because they're testing it for so many different functionalities for the automotive industry for the home deco industry for bags for shoes us being a specialist in handbags we try to work with them before working with a client to get the material and then we can run our own personal tests. Some of the materials we can't emboss on. Some of the materials we can't use for smaller accessories. Some are too expensive for bigger accessories. Finishing techniques, painting the edges. 
silk screens, all these types of things we can catch very early on in our internal tests. And for the most part, the ones we're seeing right now are really good and we will only promote them to our clients if we believe they're going to work. Because the last thing we need is to produce 300 bags and then find out a year later that they broke for the customer, even though it would be a material defect. This is not a good thing for us. And so we're very patient as well. The irony is because it is quite slow and we're quite patient, we can't move away from leather as quickly as we hoped. Because when you look at leather, leather is an incredibly sustainable material when we, when we think about longevity and durability. When we go into the animal industry, for those who understand about animal ethics and whatnot, leather is just a very, very bad material for the planet. But when it comes to making product, ironically, nothing can outperform leather right now. So these are the catch-22s. So we just got to keep navigating them and being realistic. We don't take sides. We don't say, oh, we prefer leather or we prefer vegan materials. We're backing the vegan side of the industry because that's where I see the growth. But we're realists right now. And the key is to be realistic. And so in your opinion, if there's a brand that is currently working with leather and they're hesitant to switch because of product quality issues, would you recommend they keep an eye on the next-gen material space and then when more items are commercially ready, then making the switch? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, if you're not from a vegan food kind of mindset, dietary background, for sure, it definitely makes sense to continue to be profitable with your business with leather use this time to start thinking about the alternatives. I seriously believe in a couple of years, the industry is going to go bang. It's going to go, it's just going to explode. And you want to be ready for that. You want to be ready. You want to be doing some tests right now. You want to start having an eye on these materials. These materials are actually very hard to get hold of because they're very popular. You can get the materials, start playing around, start doing some tests start being aware around the trends reading the reports your business model will have to shift eventually but for now use leather to be profitable and i mean that's how we've done it vision is a will never work with leather but the pre-existing factory that we have is our nest for vision and we need to ensure that nest stays in the tree so we rely on leather goods right now to be profitable. And what that does is it, it gives um, Vishen the financial support it needs to um, continue to focus, minimizing the amount of risk. You can't just go cold turkey and change overnight. You can try to, but in this space, it's very hard. So it's about transitioning. And again, back to consciousness, it's about being progressive. It's about just being the most conscious person you can. So definitely, as, as you said, it's important to have an eye on the space right now and, and to follow it closely. Awesome. That makes a lot of sense. And so switching gears a bit, I know you mentioned you're in Costa Rica right now. So do you want to share a little bit more about why you decided to open a second factory there? Yeah. So the, how the journey went was I came back to the UK for six months before moving to China in October. The plan was to launch Vishin in China in 2020 October, but I got setbacks because of COVID and relocation. So I couldn't move to China in 2020. I tried again in February 2021. I tried again in July 2021. And because of the lockdowns and stuff like this, I couldn't get to China. And what was happening was that when I started the company, 
very quickly on my goal with the company was to have factories all over the world just like it was it was just an idea that resonated with me because we're in China there's such a horrible stigma around China and I mean it has made life more complicated but it's made life a lot easier but with that being said I don't want us to be seen as a Chinese business I want us to be seen as an international business because the complexity with China is that even though people judge it for that stigma that isn't correct there are things that are very hard about having a factory in China carbon footprint of the supply chain so for example deserto the cactus lever is our biggest material supplier right now for our clients and to go from mexico to china back to america it's a very long footprint and on top of that the tariffs from trump and what's happened previously it's expensive and we're an expensive factory so when you apply high tariffs and high shipping costs on top of the cost of product it just makes things more challenging so if those things being said i said to myself people always said to me why are you doing this in china i told them that i didn't choose china china chose me but then people will also ask me that like if you could choose any country in the world to have a factory where would it be like would you do it in england like in my home country would you do it in canada because i'm a citizen and i said no to england and no to canada but if i could do it anywhere in the world it would be costa rica and the reason why i chose costa rica was that 4 or 5 years ago i learned about costa rica operating on 99% renewable energy and from a sustainability standpoint and a lot of passion for that world i just thought that was incredible to hear a country operating 99% renewable energy so i knew about costa rica and what happened during the lockdowns and through zoom i started connecting with a lot of architects and people in fashion in costa rica and it kind of kept manifesting itself and our goal was after 5 years in china was to look into starting a second factory in a different area of the world because i couldn't get to china i said to myself where can i be in the world right now where i can focus on business and i wanted to have a social life and i wanted to do my own hobbies and play golf and these types of things and i said to myself i can go to costa rica so i came here and I'm basically expediting the second factory and Costa Rica is a is a great place to begin because as I said we're working with a supplier in Mexico. We have a lot of clients now in America and Canada and there's a lot of interest from North America and some of the brands um maybe are too small from an MOQ standpoint to go to China or some brands have a hard no on working in China just because of the the government and stuff like that. So being in Costa Rica it will really help out a lot of American clients Canadian clients with the one with the footprint the tariffs and the duties will be a lot lower so yeah this is where I'm at right now I've only been here 2 months but quickly on I've learned that there is a there is a, a luxury manufacturing sector here what I'm looking at doing is similar to China I'm looking to find a partner looking to set up a factory from scratch looking to find someone who already has the factory set up here and they know how to make a very premium product using leather because the craftsmanship required to use these new materials so i'm very close now i found a, a potential partner and hopefully in a couple of weeks i have an announcement on someone that i'm collaborating with and then from there we'll basically open the doors and say hey vision is in costa rica for a year to begin with we're going to start on a contract with them 
And then if things go well, what we'll do is we'll expand into Vishen's own facility. And as a result of doing that, there's a lot of incentives for foreign investment. So a foreign investor like me doesn't have to pay any tax having the business here, which is a huge incentive. Costa Rica is really promoting sustainable foreign investment. So there's a lot of um, initiatives the government is putting down here. So it's a great home to be. It's also very spiritual and there's a lot of biodiversity and a lot of nature and conservation. And these are all things that are part of the Vishen business model. So yeah, exciting. But with that being said, China is still our focus and we are growing very quickly in China. So we're going to have two factories. Yeah, that's so exciting and also good for you because you've only been there, what, two months? And so, yeah, good on you. Yeah, I like to try and move things quickly. I was meant to be here for two months and then and then leave. But then I, I came here and I was like, I'm going to stay for a year. So I wanted to just be settled and because of COVID and flying, it's just so complicated. I was just like, let's just stay here and focus. And the universe is telling me to stay here and I'm listening to it. So. Yeah, that makes sense. And are you finding that the sustainable fashion scene is big in Costa Rica or what does that look like? Sustainability on the day to day, probably the push isn't kind of where I thought it would be. When we look at veganism and food, like it's extremely difficult being a vegan here, like not like Canada and, and England where you go to the supermarket now and there's plenty of options and you go to restaurants every menu now would have at least one vegan option like here there'd be very big carnivals here still which is fine and then on top of that within fashion there's i wouldn't say too many pockets one because the materials they're using a lot of it comes from south america so the options right now i guess in south america are not as sustainable as like some of the options we're seeing in other parts of the world but I mean, there are a couple of really cool brands here that are doing some really impressive, sustainable things. And it's one of these brands that I've proposed to go into business with because we see eye to eye on sustainability and, and how complicated sustainability is. I think that's the key is, is the key is to meet someone who understands that it's a hard, it's a, it's a very hard word and it's, it's bigger than the word itself. Totally. Sustainability is such a complex concept, and that's why it's so important to understand what everyone thinks about sustainability and what everyone's definition of it is before you move forward. So, yeah, I think it's great that you found someone that agrees with you in that regard. I also wanted to pick your brain for startup brands because we do have quite a few founders that are just starting out that listen to our podcast, and I often hear that they have troubles with sourcing be it sourcing materials and or production partners. And what I commonly hear is that they'll reach out to companies and they'll often not hear back or the prices are too high or the MOQs are too high. So do you have general sourcing tips that you can share with startup founders? I guess one thing to quickly look to any startup starting now, we talked about it earlier, but start thinking about the circular economy, start studying the circular economy. Do you want to start a linear brand? I don't want to be cutthroat, but the brand won't get past the first year. There's just too many linear brands out there. So circularity is key in your business model right at the very beginning. Read the reports, start getting into that mindset because that's where the, the money is for startups to grow very quickly in this kind of competitive pool. 
But that's just a quick tip. Circularity is the future. Digital fashion is the future. Think about those two things. Regards to sourcing, again, very complex, complicated world. Some web stuff that come to mind right now would be like Common Objective is a good one for someone to go to. And it has a lot of resources on there with factories to connect with. And the, the factories kind of hanging out on there are there for a reason because they want to have clients and they're, they're responsive. So that's a good one. The way it works for me was just within my network, the power of knowing people, power of building a network. It's near impossible to go into Google and say, I want to find this. Whereas if you have a great network and you start leaning on people, then you'll start to go, okay, this person knows an in, this person knows this person, this person knows where to go. Anyone who's starting up, I'd say get on LinkedIn, start networking on LinkedIn, start building like a family or a group you want to be associated with, adding people to that. And then you'll start learning and you'll start just absorbing amazing minds and you'll start listening to more and more podcasts. So I guess that'd be a good tip. It's hard to kind of go out and to say, go and do this, this and that. But with networking and going to these kind of events, you'll just continuously learn more and start gaining the right people to speak to. Yeah, that's super helpful. And I agree that networking is so important, especially for startup founders. And then following up on the production piece, do you have any recommendations or tips there? If you can, get on, if it's in China, get on WeChat or Ding Talk. So outside of emails, it's handy to have this really quick messaging app because not everyone at the factory will be on email. And if you have something urgent, that you need a quick answer for instead of waiting 12 hours, you can quickly get an answer from WeChat. Try and take phone calls with your factories. What I learned at Tentree was that you can do 20 emails back and forth over numerous days, then you can do one phone call and you can wrap it all up in one phone call. The factory should hopefully have someone who can speak English at the factory. If not, you can use WeChat and you can translate on WeChat quite easily. So they're good tips. And yeah, I mean, if you, obviously with COVID and stuff, it's hard, but if you can go out and visit the production person at the factory, just make that investment to go out and see them in person because once you visit your factories, you can get weeks, months of work done in literally two, and two or three days. So obviously it's a lot harder right now. So that's why I suggest doing more frequent Zoom calls and stuff like that. And it's nice to meet the person behind the email. And yeah, you can just thrash out what's working, what's not working. A lot of it is very simple communication breakdowns, especially in China. Like, because I'm the middleman in my company now, I see the way my team write emails to my clients and the way they write it, it can come across very negative or passive aggressive and they're not being rude. It's just the way their English comes out when they're typing. But to a brand, they might be like, oh, they might be offended by that. So try not to take things too literally. It's just the style of writing. And again, if you have a phone call, you can find out quickly that they're not rude or they're not being nasty. It's just the way they write their English. Communication is so key in this industry and especially at production level. And it needs to be 24 hours, 48 hours responding to each other. You need to be respectful to the factory, getting back to them very quickly. The last thing the factory needs is a client who takes seven days to get back to an email. If you know it's going to be seven days before getting back or two weeks because you have a review coming up, let the factory know. 
to say, hey, we received the sample and we're going to be in touch in two weeks. That's all they need to know. And same for you. You don't want to be left hanging from a factory. So try and make sure that you establish that agreement where it's like we make sure we hold each other accountable for 24 hours to 48 hours to get back. And a lot of factories, especially ones in China, they pride themselves on moving very quickly. Yeah, those are some great tips. So thanks for sharing, especially the WeChat slash DingTalk translation on the app, because I know a lot of startup brands, they can't always afford translators. So that can be really helpful for them. I mean, my business partner in China doesn't speak English and I chose to go into business with someone that I can't speak the same language with. So WeChat has been instrumental in the way we built our business together. Obviously, his wife speaks fluent English. That makes life a lot harder. But we have personal conversations and higher level ambitions that we need to kind of stay aligned with. There's obviously a lot of trust with us as business partners. But the translating tool in WeChat has been incredible just to press the button. And and it translates pretty amazing. Like The tone and, and the words are exact. And it's just like talking to someone. It's a really handy tool. and. It was difficult to download WeChat like last year. So then Ding Talk is really good as well. And then in other countries, just use WhatsApp. Build WhatsApp groups with your team. Get everyone in your team into one WhatsApp group. And it just makes things a lot more smoother. Every client that we have now, we have a set up a WeChat Ding Talk group for the client so we can keep things going quickly. Because emails, everyone knows their inboxes get full of other things. And sometimes you, the things get buried. And a long email, whereas a quick message, a quick message can change the game. Yeah, that's super helpful. Thanks again for sharing. And in addition to startup founders, we also have a lot of founders that already have an existing brand that is sustainable, but they're looking to increase their sales and scale and really get to that next level. But in that process, I find a lot of these founders and even our own clients when we work with them, they feel guilty scaling because it's not maybe the most sustainable thing in the world. Mm. And so what are your thoughts on that? And what do you have to say to these founders? Start meditating. It makes you understand to not be guilty. Like, And this is for me, it was during COVID last year where we were expanding into our new facility and we're talking about what the new facility looks like and the volumes and for us to kind of keep the lights on, we have to do 300,000 products per year. And I was just like, holy shit. I was just like, I felt so guilty. I was just like, that is so much product. What I did was I looked up H&M's numbers quickly and I looked up some of the bigger brands in the industry and I was just like, okay, 300,000 pieces is nothing compared to the volumes that these companies are doing. So I quickly started to sleep. But then with meditation, I started to strategize. I started to think positively about what I can do that in my control. And this is where I started turning towards the metaverse and digital fashion. For anyone who wants to grow, there are opportunities now to start growing your business without making product. And this is where the metaverse is a very scary thing from a holistic standpoint. But from a fashion perspective, there's a lot of space to make money in the metaverse by launching your collection digitally first, NFTs and smart contracts, and start selling your bags and your clothing in the metaverse first, and then creating a revenue stream without you making anything. And then obviously the things you want to be mindful about there is the blockchain and the mining and the, and the energy consumption. And you got to make sure you find that balance of not over-exhausting that. But from a carbon footprint on shipping and materials, 
you can start growing like this. So that's one thing I'd say to anyone who wants to scale is to start thinking about digital fashion, start thinking about circularity and these types of things. Start looking into renting models. If you make an amazing jacket that's worth $400, instead of selling it once, rent it out 10 times that year for a hundred bucks. You know what I mean? That's a thousand dollars right there in, in one product instead of selling it for 400. So try and use your product instead of making more, but making more money from it, swapping it, renting, all these types of initiatives, take backs. You're smart of your product and you can take it back and repair it. You can still grow financially from an old product. It doesn't have to be just about volume. Me, the way I try to sleep at night now with volume is, is looking into digital fashion. So for any brand out there, start getting into that mindset and, and start figuring that out because that's the future of the industry. Yeah. And for anyone that doesn't know what digital fashion is, what Joey is referring to is this whole Web3 phenomenon where we're talking about the blockchain technology and NFTs and the metaverse, like how all of that can apply to various industries. And in this particular instance, we're talking about how it can apply to the fashion industry. And I know it can be really overwhelming and daunting to think about. So I am going to be doing a future podcast episode on it. So stay tuned. But talking a little bit more about this topic, because I do think that innovation is so important as we try to write the harmful fashion industry. So I'm personally really excited about leveraging the blockchain to deal with traceability issues in the fashion supply chain. And I know we talked about this earlier and you're excited about that too. So do you want to talk a little bit more about innovation in this space that you're really looking forward to? For me, the quick wins right now is the traceability. Obviously, transparency from a factory level is something that we're trying to go above and beyond with radical transparency, trying to get certificates obtained. But on top of that, doing bigger initiatives and through blockchain, the idea for me of putting the QR code in our client's product and then the consumer scanning that product and saying, wow, on their phone, it pops up saying, here's the factory that made it. And then maybe a cool video of Vision pops up on their phone and it shows the factory and it shows the production floor, something like that. That's really exciting short term. Longer term, I'm really excited around NFTs and smart contracts around having a royalty attached to our pre-existing production. Basically, the product we make when I'm sleeping at night 10 years later, I know that because we made such a durable, long-lasting product, hopefully it's still out in circulation somewhere. And if it is in circulation and it's changing hands or it's being rented or it's being swapped and there's transactions happening, we'll be benefiting from that which means that we'll be going to be making money from a production that we made 10 years ago. Right now, we pride ourselves on making long-lasting, very durable, high-end product, and we need to be rewarded for that 10 years, 20 years down the line. So these are the kind of things that I'm super excited for. The metaverse is very scary, as I said, from a humanity standpoint, going down that route, but from a fashion standpoint, it's super exciting because it gives us this chance to slow down the industry, to slow down producing material, slow down the volumes and start doing trend setting in the metaverse. Creating a bag in three colorways 
and then launching it and then finding out people are buying it in two of the colorways and then one of the colorways isn't going to work. That's so good for a startup brand because you don't have to commit to MOQs and have inventory. And then from a wholesale standpoint, the wholesaler is going to be more at peace of mind because they know they're going to see the trends of the consumer trends in the metaverse. People, the next step is go, okay, I wear this piece of clothing on my avatar. Now I want to buy the piece of clothing. Now I want to, I want to wear it out and about. That's such a great thing. And it's super exciting that we can get behind this space. It is a great way to slow down the industry and to really slow down this linear way of producing and selling because it's dying, it's dead. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that all this technology is really exciting for the industry. And I also think that it can really help on the sustainability journey. And speaking of the metaverse, I think that us as a society and humanity at large, like really integrating into this space is really terrifying for me. But from a fashion perspective, I do think it's really great that brands are now going to be able to test demand before they go into production. And that's just one quick win and one small example to your point of how we can really turn things around and really help to promote more intentional production and also circularity. And so there's obvious benefits to this technology, but how do you also feel just personally about using some of these advancements and innovations? I did a conversation last night about it and it shouldn't have to be a system or like a lifestyle. It's a tool. These are tools for us to use in our business models to achieve certain things. When it becomes this thing where everyone has to do it, that's when it can become scary. Right now, the metaverse, digital fashion, all these types of things are tools to be able to be profitable still, but do it in a unique way, a non-tangible way. And the riddle I always say is like, how can a factory not produce anything but still be profitable? And this is why through the blockchain and the metaverse, for me as a factory, it's like, it's tackling this riddle. Of like, we don't make as much as we used to, but we make more money. It's like, how do you do that? It's like, through the metaverse. Yeah, and I would say that right now, we're still relatively in the early days. Everyone's not flocking to the metaverse quite yet. And so I do think it's important, though, to keep your thumb on the pulse of everything and see how it can apply to your business. Because to your point, you can actually potentially produce less, right, and still make as much money, if not more money. So it's important to look at these technologies as tools, to your point, and not just be scared of them and be open to them. And I know we've been talking now for a while and I want to be respectful of your time. So starting to wrap things up now, do you have any podcasts or book recommendations for slow fashion founders out there? Yeah, a good mate of mine, Desi Fashion Insiders podcast, really good podcast for um, production and sourcing support. She just wrote a really cool book. And obviously your podcast. I'd read the Material Innovation Initiative. I would follow them. I'd read their reports. Um, there's a really big conference coming up in May that I'll be speaking at. I'll be on a panel with MycoWorks. So Major Reishi, the CEO, I'll be talking with him. So some really cool panelists and conversations at that conference. And then Lablaco. So when it comes to digital fashion and circularity, Lablaco, L-A-B-L-A-C-O and the Circular Fashion Summit. So the Circular Fashion Summit is a summit 
powered in the metaverse by Lablico. Really exciting to follow the work there and follow the brands that they're working with. Some big brands, some startup brands. And if you want to get motivated around in this space, start following the work there and start following the work of the brands they're working with. They've got some really good reports. I read their report on the circular economy. And after reading that report, I was just like, I need to get into this space. I'm, I'm like, I knew nothing about the metaverse. I'm not a tech guy. It scared the shit out of me. I read this report and I was like, this is where it's at. This is the future. And I needed to, to get around it. We're just scratching the surface. It's, it's very early days. Anyone out there, don't be too overwhelmed being like, oh my God, I need to start now. As we talked about, just start being conscious, start getting your eye on these things, following these types of trends. But yeah, material innovation and circularity, they're the two ones you want to be um, focusing on right now, in my opinion. Awesome. Well, I know you shared a lot of great information today, Joey. And if folks want to get in touch with you and also support you, what are your links and what are your handles? So yeah, LinkedIn, I'm very active on now. So just Joey Pringle on LinkedIn, and then you'll see the company. It's a Vision factory on LinkedIn, and I'd love to have you follow us on LinkedIn. And then Instagram, just at Vision Factory. So V-E-S-H-I-N Factory. And Twitter, Facebook, we're not as active on, but yeah, Instagram, LinkedIn, if you want to get on board and follow the journey. I guess one last note is that I'm actually launching Fashion Revolution China in April. So um, we worked very closely with Fashion Revolution last year and I was trying to reach out to their Chinese team and they didn't actually have a team in China because the factory wanted to kind of collaborate and they didn't have a team. They had a team in Hong Kong. They said to me last year, they said, hey, we're looking at training some new countries and they are like, do you want to get behind Fashion Revolution China and start in China. And I was like, for sure, let's do it. Because my goal with Vision isn't to be the best factory on the planet, it's to inspire other factories and to promote other factories. And I love China and I love the work that's being done with some factories and they all deserve that spotlight. So coincidentally, when I got trained for Fashion Revolution China in the same training was Fashion Revolution Costa Rica. This is like the manifestation of coming here. But um, yeah, so launching that in April, look out for that. And yeah, follow Fashion Revolution China. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't know about Fashion Revolution China. That's great. We will also include all of Joey's links in the show notes as well. So you can take a look there. Well, thanks so much again for coming onto the podcast, Joey. This is so great. And thanks for sharing your wisdom with us. Amazing. Well, thanks for having me. Sending peace, love, and happiness to everyone in Vancouver and rest of the world. And that concludes this episode. If you enjoyed it, please take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories, and tag us at Recloseted. Make sure you subscribe to our Recloseted Radio podcast on your preferred podcast platform so that new episodes are automatically downloaded and you don't miss any of our free resources. Lastly, don't forget to rate our podcast five stars and leave us a positive review. That really helps us and continues to allow us to provide this podcast for free. Together, let's write the harmful fashion industry.